to another episode of Marketing and Tech Book Club. This week I'm chatting CDPs with Marty Kern and Chris O'Hara, authors of Customer Data Platforms, Use People Data to Transform the Future of Marketing Engagement. Marty is SVP of Strategy at Salesforce Marketing Cloud and a former Gartner analyst. He's also author of three memoirs, including House of Lies, which was turned into Showtime Show. Chris is VP of Global Product Marketing at Salesforce, also known for his previous book, Data Driven. Now, CDPs are one of the fastest growing tech categories, and at the Martech Alliance, we are producing more and more content and courses to help people navigate this space. So I was super excited to chat with both these guys on their fantastic book. Let's jump straight into the interview. Welcome, Chris and Marty. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today to chat about your fantastic book, Customer Data Platforms. Thank you, Carlos. Nice to be here. It's great to be here, man. So first of all, how did you come up with that title? Customer Data Platforms. <laughs> well, it was actually uh, originally called Customer Driven. And right. I uh, I even had was on a couple interviews where I described it as Customer Driven, kicking myself retroactively. But we, we were talking to the publisher, right, Chris? And we were there and they were like, oh, what's a good title? Customer driven is a good title. And then we're like, but it's such a hot category. You got to make it clear. It's about customer data platforms. And then somebody came up with a brilliant idea. Why don't we just call it customer data platforms? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of brainstorming. Probably Chris. A lot of brainstorming. A lot of brainstorming. No, you know, it is good that it's called that. I think, you know, as yeah. you pointed out, there's a lot of excitement in the category and people don't really know what it is. So, um, you know, help, having a book named Customer Data Platforms leaves no uh, illusions as to what Indeed. we're going to discuss. No ambiguity, book. not yeah. at all. Nope. It does what it says on the tin, right? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and um, well, that takes me straight into it. So, look, so maybe not everybody listening is familiar with the CDP space, yeah? Um, so, I would love to do that thing of can you just explain it in simple terms? And I'm going to give you the scenario. You're down the pub, you're explaining it to someone that doesn't understand the space at all. What is a CDP? Let's go for a super simple explainer. Uh, well, I could take a stab at that. I, I think of it as a, a flexible database of customer data that's taken information from a bunch of different sources and organized it so that you can do good analytics and activate it wherever you want to in marketing. So it's basically like a single source of truth for, for marketing data. Cool. I'm sure Chris can improve on that. No, I think you nailed it. I mean, um, you know, it's uh, Marty talks in the book a lot about sort of the history of, of how we got to CDPs. Um, it seemed like for a very, very long time, uh, CRM systems or customer relationship management systems were really about customer data, sticking it all in one place and making it useful, you know, originally for sales and things like automation. But you know, over time, making it available for things in marketing. So I think it's really just the latest iteration of a very long-standing evolution and what's been happening with customer data uh, for like 40 years, maybe longer. Definitely. I think that's that's such an important point. This ain't new. The, the challenges we've all been faced as marketers for a very long time. It's that the space has changed, right? And that some of the technology is prepackaged now, which makes it, it should be easier in theory. Uh, hopefully it is a bit easier. But yeah, this isn't brand new. It's it's there have been custom CDPs for 40 years, like you say. Um, well, I always say everyone I talk to, I'm like, well, you know, if you're a marketer, you're solving this problem somehow today. I mean, it's not like all of a sudden people realize they have customer data and they need to organize it. So everyone has some solution. Um, 
but is it the best solution? Is it the most organized? That kind of thing. And why is there so much confusion in this space? Why, why is it that not everybody sort of seems to understand it, even though we're talking about three letters here? Yeah, I mean, I think as Marty said, it's like um, people have been doing or building their own sort of CDPs for years and years. So if you look at, I just got off a meeting with a big bank um, and, you know, they have a really nice data warehouse. They're built with Teradata. They have a bunch of data lakes. They've been sort of unifying, organizing, cleaning uh, customer data and making it available to various systems forever. Um, the problem is, though, it's like, over time, you acquire this different advertising technology and marketing technology and e-commerce technology, and um, you do it over a long period of time. So, for example, you started with email and you bought a marketing cloud, and now you have all your data around people's email addresses. But then, you know, digital advertising became really, really important, and you needed to capture cookies and device IDs, and you bought a DMP and all your sort of unknown customer data was in there. And then, oh, direct-to-commerce came about, and you needed a fancy new e-commerce system, and you started managing separate uh, data in there. So you have three, five different systems, all in service of the same customer, all talking about the same customer. None of them are connected. Or what's really been happening is over time, people have been connecting them in sort of janky ways, right? And I think what customers realize now is why can't I just have one place to manage all this data and the things I want to activate it out to, advertising, marketing, commerce, sales, service, um, should just be sort of endpoints where that data can be captured and used um, for whatever orchestration purpose there is. So, and this change was brought about, I think, mostly because A, it wasn't really that inexpensive to store 100% of your customer data and keep it in a real-time profile store. I mean, we're talking lots and lots of money, so it was expensive. And two, the there wasn't sort of a lot of open source, really good data uh, software, off-the-shelf stuff that people could use to do these jobs. It had to be really hardcore IT people. And so the emergence of you know Amazon Web Services making it really easy to store lots of data and a lot of really cool tech from companies like Apache, et cetera, make it easy to manipulate the data. And of course, why I think we've seen a lot of CDPs pop into the market is there's a lot of venture capital money chasing the space. So companies that might not have been a CDP uh, decided very quickly a few years ago that they were definitely a CDP uh, to get more funding and more attention from the market. So that's kind of how we're seeing the market today. It's still very early stages though. Yeah, there, I mean, there's more than 100 vendors now that call themselves CDP. If you look at CDP Institute, lots of logos. And I think part of the, the confusion is driven by on the vendor side as well, because no, no two of those 100 are the same. They're, they're all either slightly different or in some cases very different. And many MarTech stacks have two or three of them functioning quite happily alongside each other, and yet they're all CDPs. So, I mean, that uh, that gets to what, you know, Salesforce's approach is a little different, but basically I think there's a, the, the vendor, there's the hype cycle at Gartner, with, you know, tech you know, categories appear and then they kind of shoot up and the hype cycle and people hear about them and they become excited. And that, that's the peak of maximum confusion. That's when they call Gartner, where I used to work and say, what's the CDP? Now we're kind of going down into the trough of disillusionment, which is what happened is next. But there's a shakeout, and so it's maturing category, but it's still getting defined. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think to that point, I think we we had a little tally up. I think we hit the 142 <laughs> divided is what we found. I'm sure there's probably more. I'm sure you could find plenty more and you could probably debate plenty of whether they actually are CDPs. I think that's the other thing that's interesting. Well, there are a lot of pivots as well. Uh, companies that did something else and then redefine themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, the other thing is where does one stop and where does one finish? And so one, one area that I think is interesting is journey orchestration engines. And there's there's certain there's certain category types, if you like, or or platform types where you could actually say, is this a core feature or functionality of a broader platform set? I think that also adds the complexity because a CDP promises just so much and it can solve so many things. Which things does it really solve and to what degree? And at what point does it enable another platform to solve that problem? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I'll let Marty finish my thought because he studied this this at Gartner. But like even um analysts like Forrester uh kind of separate, you know, traditional cross-channel campaign management with uh, real-time interaction management. They have two ways, two different ways of thinking about it. And I think even different analysts within different um, firms really define things differently. Um, you know, in the one sense, that makes it harder because people think the CDP should do both things really well. And as Marty and I talk about in the book, um, there are really two different types of CDPs. One is like more akin to master data management systems than CRM systems where you may provision, you know, a prescriptive journey that takes time across many different channels. And then there's RTIM tools or what we call systems of engagement that work in real time, have a real time profile store, and they really have different uh, data needs and, and different ways of interacting with customers. So, um, you know, that complicates things quite a bit. And even Gartner, I'm sure, has a different um, definition and approach to the space. There are. I mean, technically, there's a difference between handling streaming data and having a kind of unified profile of data at rest that can be used for analytics. Mm -hmm. And if you want to store all your customer record, you're not going to put it in a streaming system. It should be all of this data should be coordinated. Obviously, you don't want data about a customer sitting in a system of insight, as we call it, and sitting in a system of engagement that isn't that isn't synced up or connected. So we're not saying that these are disconnected systems, but they are technically different. And so that's why you, you might see something like um, a streaming data ingestion CDP sit alongside one that I would call more of a system of insight or like a database. And they both need each other in, in essence. Got you. Yeah. And, and on this kind of blurriness, what, one interesting point you brought up in the book was the idea of the CDMP. Can you <laughs> talk us through that concept? And is that the second book? Is it the CDMP? Well, this was the CDMP book, uh, sort of. We, we do talk about the, the concept there is just DMP is, you know, obviously data management platform. It's been around for 10 years at least. And uh, Salesforce acquired one, uh, Crux, that turned into Audience Studio. So the DMP has relied on third-party cookies or pseudonymous identifiers, use it in ad tech. And CDP is pretty much focused on known customers or prospects uh, and some anonymous identifiers, but it's, yeah, it's a smaller universe. It's MarTech data. And our thought was, well, it should be the same profile because it's the same customer over time. You show them an ad, they come to your site, they become a customer. It's all the same journey. Uh, you're not handed off at some point from ad tech to martech and then back again, or you shouldn't notice that. So uh, why don't these systems come together around a unified profile that spans known and unknown? And so the DMP as a category gets closer to the CDP. Uh, I do think that will happen. It, it hasn't actually really happened yet. 
Um, but it's in the process of occurring, I think. Yeah, we thought it was just kind of a funny way to talk about it. And uh, we used to laugh about <laughs> DMP, but it's actually kind of, as we thought about it more, it's definitely a thing, you know. DMPs are amazing. I mean, uh, for 15 years, they've been managing at real consumer scale, sort of doing data management, getting a rich profile from a lot of different user IDs and cookies, activating data in real time on hundreds of systems, uh, doing things like, um, you know, onboarding, re-identification, you know, prescriptive journey management across a number of different channels. Um, so it's like when I think about DMP, I mean, and I'm biased because I came from Crux and I love DMPs, but, you know, there's no getting away from the fact that um, all of the really important things they do will have to accrue into this new category especially as we near 2022 and, and third-party cookies go away and Google and Apple become more restrictive. So Marty's, uh, Marty and I were just thinking, what if the best of DMP in a consent-managed way could come into the CDP and we'd have this, this Uber sort of technology that does data management writ large, not just restricted to one ID type or, or another based on someone's PII or pseudonymous profile. So... It is represent the way we're thinking about um, moving forward in the in the market, but obviously it's full of challenges. You know, that acronym hasn't really caught on. It's uh, <laughs> we like it, but I meant that Terry Kawaja, you know, does the Lumiscape, and yeah. he said four letter acronyms aren't good. They, they're always bad. They're like GDPR, CCPA, <laughs> three letter acronyms. That's the way to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> next, well, we're going for the XDP. <laughs> Yeah, you've got to have the X in there. That won't get taken seriously until you've got the experience, right? Yeah. Um, well, actually, it's interesting, actually, on that point. You mentioned companies that have pivoted. There definitely have been some DMPs that have re reestablished themselves as CDPs now. So um, I could definitely see that evolving. Whether or not they'll add the extra letter or not is a different story. Um, but as we start to think about that idea, whilst they offer different functionalities, they obviously get closer and closer. Is, fair, is it fair to say that you could start to head towards forgive the five letter acronym uh the, the cdmrp it is a crm obviously offers a completely different set of functionality and features however there certainly starts to be overlap are we headed towards something that's simpler all-encompassing and that transcends more departments than marketing into sales as well yeah i mean we at, at salesforce um and I'm sure there's others doing this, but uh, customer 360 is a sort of platform idea. And what we're building out is this, um, it's a unified user profile that builds on the CDP. So it's a bas basically this central view of the customer that we call a single source of truth, but it's not just for marketing. It's for marketers, it's for advertisers, it's for the service organization, the sales organization. There's a lot of complexity here, but it has to be able to do, you know, there's a single sign-on component, there's identity management, there's consent and privacy management, and then there's the CDP itself, which is the database. But you're absolutely right. I think um, at, uh, when we think of business transformation, it's about marketing and service working together, you know, or marketing and sales and all drawing off the same data. And that is what you're calling the CDM MRP. <laughs> that thing. Definitely, definitely not going to catch on that one. And that's definitely the long-term vision, at least at Salesforce. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about that, that's a great point, Marty. Um, it's not far off. Uh, I forget the five-letter acronym already, but if you think about what we're doing in CRM, um, 
you know, we came to the market um, later than a lot of other competitors. And the reason we did is because we actually thought, well, you know, we can build the CDP on top of Amazon and, and leverage all these open source tools and probably spin one up in, in six months. But we were like, no, uh, we want to build this on the core Salesforce platform. So the same thing we built in 1999 when we put CRM on the cloud. So it's an actual platform. It has its own information model. You know, we have uh, developers who develop on it. We have admins who administrate it. And we have business users who log into it. So if you think about sales cloud and service cloud, basically our call center and our CRM software, the CDP, we built it on the same thing. And it's harder to do. It takes a longer time. But what that unleashes is a, a platform strategy. So you think about all the things Salesforce is always buying and building into the platform, whether it's privacy or, you know, a new partner in the app exchange or, you know, a new way of doing customer resolution or a new login capability. All those things are based in the platform. So why I think that's interesting is one, it points to the CRM has already been evolving and this idea of CDP is maybe not new to the CRM space, but it's a different way of thinking about how to provision the data in the platform, you know, how to make it more real-time, connect it to more things. Um, but also, it's about extensibility. Um, for Salesforce especially, all of our customers use different types of uh, tech, right? Whether it's Adobe or they have um, SAP hidden somewhere or they have their own data warehouse or data lake. So we have to be highly extensible with that. And um CDP's strategy with CRM is really how can I make CRM more flexible, more extensible, bring more data in, help activate that data in different places. Um, so it's it's almost additive to CRM. So I do think over time you'll see success around the Microsofts, the SAPs, who manage really where the center of gravity of customer data has always lived, and that's in CRM systems, right? And they'll figure out ways to modernize that. Interesting, very interesting. See how that plays out. Um, I want to take a moment and think a little bit about where companies are in terms of their maturity when it comes to data and CDPs right now. So obviously there's varying levels of adoption, yeah? We certainly will have some that are a lot more progressive and uh, have a CDP in place and have done so for some years. Others which are just starting now, others which are just kind of learning the acronym and perhaps listen to this and getting more confused by hearing variations of it. Um, what are we going to see play out? Are we going to see something play out in the next two to three years where there really is a competitive advantage of those that have been in this, have, have adopted earlier, those that really have a CDP in place, those that have data at the heart of what they're doing? One of the interesting points you went sort of in, in, into detail on was obviously the, the power of having um, AI machine learning in place that can keep learning and keep feeding from amazing data. Obviously, if you've got years of data ahead of your competitors, it adds somewhat of a competitive advantage. Are we going to see a real difference, especially as we roll into 2022, are we going to see a real difference in those that adopted early, now, and late in terms of soaking up market share? I mean, there is, I think, um, an approach that, that indicates success. And I think it's the one that is... Um, not looking at a CDP, a single CDP vendor to solve all of their issues. 
including organizational issues, people process technologies problems. It's not a silver bullet. And I think that the, a lot of those um, projects that were spun up, like I'm getting the CDP, are being spun down. And so there, it is possible to fail in your CDP implementation. Uh, I think the ones that are successful are much more thoughtful. And we're seeing that now. It's less of a kind of a land gold rush or whatever. <laughs> it's much more around what am I trying to accomplish? You know, what would I do with this unified profile if I had it? I think at Salesforce, we see our biggest competitor now, not as a vendor, but as a homegrown solution that's sitting in a, in a data warehouse or that's sitting on, uh, you know, in BigQuery. And the question is, do you as an organization want to maintain that? Is it, is it worth your while? Uh, or do you want to outsource the kind of the build of that? Unified profile. So I think being clear on the use case, I mean, our pilot customers that did the best were ones that did something as simple as, you know, I want to customize the images in my marketing materials, like my email, to to um, reflect the thing that somebody bought. So data sitting in a point of sale system through my loyalty program and seeing, you know, really much better response. So being clear about that, I think, is the best. Um, but inter you're, you're right. I mean, it's it's easy to say, but if you can have a better approach to unifying customer data, doing better analytics, you'll have a competitive advantage. But I think there's a difference between adopting a CDP fast and taking this kind of more measured approach. To yeah, success. I mean, yeah. so so true. I mean, we saw it for years in the DMP business. You know, yeah. we have customers. I bought the Ferrari, but I can't drive it out of the garage. And you'd be like, okay, you know, you bought a you bought a DMP, but you have no one at your company who knows about data management. You asked your agency to use it. That's a that's a loser. And then of course we have people who have rushed into CDP thinking it's gonna solve all their problems and make the the same Ferrari statement about a vendor they have you know, they've worked with. But um as Marty points out, people process technology. There's sort of no um, partial credit for getting one of them right because you really have to get all three right to, to succeed. And I think, as, as Marty alluded to, the companies that take a more, you know, slower cadence and a, and a longer-term approach to to doing CDP, they're really not just buying a piece of tech. They're they're trying to org, you know, undergo digital transformation or a data-led transformation, and that's really changes everything when you start to unpack it. So it's hard. Yeah, certainly. I think certainly reverse engineering from what is it you're trying to achieve? What's the use case? Technology is the neighbor in the middle, um, but definitely the, the Ferrari analogy is, is something, it's, it's every tech in MarTech, right? It's, yeah. It promises the world and it's not, it's, I always say it's never, it's never the technology's fault. It's much easier to blame technology or a vendor than it is to hold your hands up and go, Actually, do you know what? We didn't put the right talent behind this. We didn't invest the time and effort. We kind of thought we could just buy it and it would drive itself. Um, but it will be interesting to see. I, I do feel, at least certainly for the UK and Europe, it, it seems like kind of a little bit of a um, a little bit of a tipping point. I think, broadly speaking, the UK and Europe can move somewhat behind the US with technology adoption, especially as often some of the new innovation is born out of the US. And I think right now we're hitting kind of that point of inflection of people really acknowledging the potential of a CDP and what it could do in terms of solving their problems, but yeah. whether or not it will really play itself out in terms of the right adoption and thinking actually about, you know, the talent that drives it as well, which takes me kind of into my next point. You talked a lot about um, kind of the role of a data scientist, but actually also talked about a very interesting theme which Mr. Scott Brinker talks about a lot, is the sort of the no-code, the citizen developer. Mm. And so kind of keen to get your perspective on 
just how important is a data scientist now and moving forwards, given that there is a democratization of technology and ease of use, but at the same time, understanding that, yes, they still need somebody that understands a level of technical specificity. Yeah, I think, well, when I was a gardener, you know, we did a, we did a lot of studies on data science and uh, it was the, the, it was the best way to predict if someone was a, um, uh, an advanced marketer uh, and a marketing team with competitive differentiation was how much they invested in data science. I think yeah. that's uh, it's normalized a little bit now, but you can get a lot of return on investment in that case. You get one, the right person. I always say, if you get one person who knows what they're doing, you can almost you know revolutionize your marketing. So I think data science continues to be important, but the point Scott was making, and he's into the no code thing, Scott Brinker, we interviewed him for the book, Customer Data Platforms. Um, he's saying that you know, why don't we kind of unleash the ability to do analytics throughout the marketing marketing organization? And we support that wholly. There's no reason a marketer shouldn't be able to go into our CDP and build segments, um, you know, drag and drop segments, without having to you know sit down and write code just for the purpose of efficiency. And so there's two different users for the data. Obviously, you can have people who go in, look at it granularly, build models. Or you can have people who just kind of access it through a UI, and both both people need to be supported. When you say yeah, actually the other the other aspect to it is um, if you think about how you democratize um, access to data and democratize data science, if you will. Like if I think about the typical marketing cloud user, like maybe a really smart marketer, like Marty said, and in the past he would say, "Ooh." Now I have this idea that if we just got data on all the people who had an open ticket in our, our call center and we assume they were unhappy with our brand, you know, I just want to bring that data into my marketing environment, suppress those users. I'm going to get better response from people who are happy customers and I'm going to save money by suppressing people who have, you know, right now a bad experience with my brand. And, um, you know, Based on our state of marketing report, we're seeing almost 80% of companies uh, integrating that sort of service data with their marketing data in some way. It's really hard to do. Like you have to call the IT department, pull the list, and take the data out of that system, model it, put it in the same model that your marketing data is in. Then you have to activate it. And by the time you get through all that, maybe someone's happy again. So. You know, I think the answer is um, how do you put the tools for getting that data and unifying that data in the marketer's hands such that if they have an idea without telling anyone, they could just go in the system and see, well, well, there are 20,000 people in that segment. Maybe I'll try it. Or, no, that's a bad idea because there's not enough data there for me to do what I want. So by democratizing access to the data through user experience and UI, I think unleashes a lot of, you know, the, the hidden power of CDP you know, what it can do, and, and that's for people to decide. And is the more you, you make that data available to other systems, you know, like a marketplace of apps, mm -hmm. you know, like Scott Brinker said, who complains that there's too many apps in the app store? Nobody, right? Yeah. It's great. So how much, how, how can data like sort of uh, proliferate everywhere such that people can experiment with it and get to the next thing in marketing? That's my favorite quote in the book. The, the Scott yeah, Brinker quote yeah. is like, who complains about the app? I mean, his point is just, if you're a marketer, why shouldn't you be able to develop an app for some tiny little edge use case that you need that no one else needs and put it on the app store? I mean, absolutely. 
if you help five people, you've helped five people. So <laughs> I think that there's a bit in between. So it's why it's why I love the idea of democratizing and basically people could just get shit done. They could just do something. Yeah. Go, I've got a thought, I haven't got to brief it, get in the tech queue, I can do this and make it happen. I think the challenge to that is sometimes what you can do very quickly and easily without documenting it extensively and understanding it in its complete complexity means that it's great, you're agile, but you may find that then you're compromising what really is the end scenario and solution. So I'll give you a, an, an actual example. So, so I love microservices, the middleware solutions that allow you to push and pull data as you need. Something like a Zapier, for example, is brilliant, right? We all love that. It's quick and easy, cheap, cheerful. However, if you just go, I really just need to push this data from this system to another and I can jump in and do that, that's great. But it's not going to actually allow you the feed and the level of detail as needed. So therefore, you're likely going to have to compromise on all the data that needs to push from one system to the other for the purpose of letting somebody just move quickly. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's that balancing act between sort of technical specificity and actually making sure you do this in a more documented way and a more rigorous way and getting something done. And it's not A or B, it's a mix of those. And I, I think it's interesting the idea of sort of mixing a data scientist with a sort of citizen developer, to use Scott's words, and how those sort of live together. So you're saying yeah. move, move fast and break things may not be the right strategy? <laughs> don't break everything don't break it that's exactly a break some but not all that's that's the difference and um well, that's i was trying to get it with the persona idea it's like you have need to support both personas citizen mm -hmm. developer and data scientist it's sort of bimodal but that's the reality yeah definitely um another bit you picked up in the book was um one of your predictions was independent cdps may fade away or pivot um i'm not misquoting you as i, as I described that there am i uh, I was going to ask around that. Do you have a view that you, you'll see a lot more acquisitions of these? I'm calling it 142 providers, but there may be more, maybe slightly less based on uh, how you count them. But what's kind of, I suppose, your view on that, that pivot and fade away in terms of independent CDPs? What might happen there? Well, I mean, when I made that argument, um, you know, it's really thinking about the center of gravity for customer data being these big CRM systems and maybe even marketing clouds. So if you have a marketer that's doing 100% of their marketing work in Adobe and they're using test and target and they're using analytics and they have the email going and Adobe comes around and says, look, you, know, you have a lot of this data already. I can extend it with our CDP by helping you do X, Y, and Z. Um, it's very hard to resist in the same way that when you're on the Salesforce CRM and you have your service and commerce and maybe email with Salesforce, um, the cost of switching is very high, and both organizationally and just it's expensive. So, um, you know, I think the natural tendencies of these markets is to consolidate around where there's already scale. But I think what I argue, or what we argued in the book, is that there are so many like really smart independent offerings out there that can live adjacent to someone's enterprise CDP and maybe do other CDP stuff really well in conjunction with larger systems. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the innovation may, may also come from. So, uh, but I mean, the fact is out of 142 CDPs, I mean, how many are we going to see really be successful? Is it is it a dozen? Is it six? You know, is it you know twenty? I don't I don't know. It's not 142. I'm pretty sure. 
And who are the acquirers too? There, there aren't, uh, you know, strategic acquirers. There, there aren't thousands of them. Uh, so, you know, I don't know about consolidation, but there'd definitely be some kind of a shakeout. It happens to every category. Yeah. Essentially, right now, obviously, with the world a little bit upside down, and yeah, yeah there is still VC cash there, but potentially, um, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see what happens in 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 the next landscape in terms of counter providers, but perhaps there'll be a little bit more consolidation. There's been a bit this year. Obviously, um, Twilio's acquisition of Segment, yeah. um, and there, I'm sure there'll be a few more before that. That was big, yeah. Yeah, that was serious. And then Agile One um, yeah. as well. But I think private equity might come in and acquire some of the better ones that aren't as well run and, and try to kind of revamp them a bit and then uh, put them on the market. But that's that will only be a handful. Yeah. Agreed. Um, right, I've got another one for you. Um, obviously, when you wrote the book, uh, and this, I'm, I'm assuming this, I'm assuming this was pre-pandemic. Um, the world's changed. No, it was during pandemic. Was it all during pandemic? <laughs> yeah, it came out very rapidly. We uh, we actually started it, I believe, in the pandemic, right, Chris? I think so, yeah. I mean, April, May, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, maybe this question is redundant, <laughs> but I'll ask anyway. Are there any new use cases based on potential changing um, behavior, behavior of either the consumers or from a business perspective? So whether it's... Perhaps that we're going to be working from home more often. Is it perhaps that we're going to be shopping online more often? Are there any kind of real changing behaviors we're going to see that are going to mean this is something different, a new, really powerful use case and value that CDP could potentially solve? I mean, I all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the COVID's been an accelerator. Like we talk about. Ooh, it was really nice. You know, you could pre-order your coffee from Starbucks in the app and then pick it up, but you know, for a while, it was kind of the only way you could get a Starbucks cup of coffee. So, you know, it's just accelerated a lot of the stuff that's that's already there. As we've gone from the sort of digital first footing to, for a while, you know, digital only. So, Yeah, but and stuff like curbside pickup, you know, um, people weren't talking about that so much last year. So that appeared, and that this is like um, pandemic specific, but also kind of more more generally, the idea of direct to consumer and anyone that has a real world presence looking at their digital channels and saying, how can we make this work for us? A lot of our conversations are on that. Should we go D to see how much consumer data do we need? Mm -hmm. And all of that is really centered around something like a CDP. And these are consumer product companies, you know, who who did television and sell through through wholesale, you know, they sell through um, retailers. So they, they're not, they don't have any connection to customers. And so I think just about everyone is thinking about, I need a connection to a customer now. So that that's really, as Chris said, accelerated a lot. And um, let's fast forward to 2022. Um, Google's obviously gonna put two in the back of the head of third party cookies. Um, yeah. Just how much of a shakeup is this gonna be and its impact on the CDP space and MarTech more broadly? It won't impact CDP, um, <laughs> except to make it more attractive. Yeah, the cookie, future of the cookie is something Chris and I spend all day talking about, right, Chris? Yeah. And uh, it is not going to be a cookie replacement. I think that what, what comes out the other end, to be honest with you, will be better than what we have now, because um, the cookie wasn't invented for advertising. It's a, it's a makeshift system. And so whatever comes out, I think as long as it isn't controlled too much by the big guys, who we all know their names, it will be an improvement. Um, my fear is for the open web. I think not for not for the CDP category, even DMP, but it would be for you know mid-tier publishers. Uh, how are they going to sell ads, make money, stay in business? 
that's a much more serious question. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you alluded before that you thought Europe was maybe a few years behind, um, and I think um, you know the U.S. in terms of sort of this kind of tech. I think that was probably true for DMP, but a wonderful thing happened on the way to CDP, which is GDPR. <laughs> and actually, um, when I meet with our, our European customers, they are uh, maybe a step ahead because they've been contemplating uh, data restrictions for a long time. People really got right away uh, that, the, that the value of first-party data is infinitely more you know, valuable than, than a cookie or a device ID. Um, and they started, as, as Marty alluded to, like even mid-tier publishers, how do we you know, provide enough value to get users to authenticate? How do we get multiple ID types consented into? And that's really a survival tactic today. But I think overall, it's good. I mean, I think people consented into marketing is more effective, better marketing. Uh, no one really loves lots of irrelevant display advertising, even though we've said we've been able to personalize it so well. I don't think that we really have. I, I love it, Chris, but I, I might be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Those pages with all the pop-ups, I love that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> is there really a world in which the big players don't win out of this stuff? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking about the movie business um, in the, you know, the forties, uh, they owned end to end, they own the, the actors, they own the studio, they own the movie theaters, they own the cameras. They didn't, they owned everything, you know, and uh, the government stepped in and broke them up. And I, I'm not saying that will happen, but uh, that kind of end to end monopoly, nobody likes consumers don't like it. Governments don't like it. The companies themselves don't like it. It's too complicated. <laughs> so big guys, you know, something will happen there. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, their, their power will be. If uh, Scott Galloway has his way, he uh, obviously is uh, <laughs> a big proponent yeah. of the breakup. Yeah, his new book is um, is interesting. I'm just halfway through, but he's kind of building on what he wrote about in the four and um, big advocate of government breaking up those monopolies. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see how it, uh, they have too much power, so it's it's hard to see how some type of government intervention doesn't step in. Now, that being said, will that change the way, um, you know, are consumers or companies starting going to start to have access to, like, individual user-level data in Google after the government steps in? No. But hopefully the, you know, the mid-tier publisher, even the larger, more skilled publishers um, will thrive in, in an environment where it's just not total domination, you know. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. I, I don't know where it's going to end. Um, it does feel we've kind of hit a point where is there any space left that they don't own? Um, and, the, and the other thing is, you know, it, it should prove a better scenario for everybody, including them, if it's broken up. But um, we'll see what plays out. Yeah, well, the, the power, there's still power in content, content creation. And also, it's very interesting to see the rise of streaming services. They, they dominate so much of our time. It's not really the same as the internet, but it's um, those content creators like Disney, for instance, I would, they're not one of the big internet players, um, but they, uh, they become a you know, formidable force in the ad space and in the consumer space. Yeah, yeah but even, um, even gaming, like if you think about um, where a lot of young adult, you know, young men spend their time, uh, it's in a gaming console. It's not necessarily yeah. on an app or on, on a desktop computer. So um, it's that shift's already happening, 
Um, and you're already seeing, for example, with Facebook, I think a lot, of, it's skewing demographically a lot older than it did even five years ago. So, Right. I've got a final one for you. I would love to get your MarTech predictions for the years ahead. What have you got for me? Uh, I can go. So um, I see the CDMP emerging as a single source of truth. Uh, I think that there's going to be a, a rise of uh, this idea of a self-driving car for marketing and essentially like the decisioning and optimization being automated and more and more people getting comfortable with sort of pressing a button and saying, optimize my campaigns. I can't, I can't bother with it. And then that will be one group, probably the largest group, but then there'll be another group that doesn't do that. They, they use AI as just supporting their decisions and they get much more technical and much more adept and they become almost like a division of, um, I don't know, statistical sciences. And so marketing becomes indistinguishable from math in a sense, but the best ones will be in, in that camp really. Chris, yours? Um, we, we wrote a little bit about, and this is maybe a fantasy, so I don't want to predict it for, for next year, but I always thought there was such an opportunity for um, to change the way we think of, of measurement, specifically multi-touch attribution. So a lot of the companies that built MTA solutions were so thrilled about DMPs and when the cookie came out, because here's all this tons of super granular you know, user data with lots of attributes, at the individual level, and they're like, oh, now we can really get precise about measurement. And then, oops, you know, the cookie went away or it's going away, and all those models have collapsed. But now with CDP, you're seeing uh, the same thing emerge, but it's clean, well-manicured, PII-based data with consent, with a lot of attributes. And that should, um, and essentially those attributes include more than just marketing touch points, right? what people bought, you know, their experiences in the call center, you know, PII-based marketing interactions. So I do see maybe someone will figure out how to use all this really clean, scaled CDP data and, and build a model where, you know, CDP data can plug in via clean room, you know, interaction data can be uh, munched together with it, and then you get sort of a baseline of performance, but making that scale and, and changing the way people think about measurement um, and displacing the big firms that own the currency of that measurement, I think are more the, the challenge than the data aspect. That'd be fascinating then. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that part actually. Um, attribution obviously is the, that and single customer viewer of the age old challenges for every marketer, right? And so anything that gets us closer to solving those well, the big, I mean, the big thing I learned from the whole book uh, experience actually was the thought that you can't, you really can't do good analytics. You can't do good predictive modeling without clean data. And basically if all the CDP does is give you clean data, as Chris was saying, mm -hmm. uh, it's given you step one to really kind of turbocharge the analytical part and AI, AI machine learning. And notice we didn't mention blockchain. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Actually, I read recently um, uh, David Robbs, um, he has some predictions uh, on marketing technology and he actually touched on that saying that blockchain, I think, I think I'm right saying, I think he said it potentially could be next year it starts to boom again. But yeah, it was around 2018 that artificial intelligence and blockchain were used pretty much the same level of hype yeah. like, um, but blockchain yeah, has gone very quiet. 
Yeah, Carlos, my uh, colleague might reach out to you for an investment opportunity in blockchain-based CDMP. So just sort of, <laughs> <laughs> sort of pick up the phone. I'm on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Chats, um, I really appreciate the time. It's been absolutely fantastic. Chat to you. Um, so thank you very much for joining. Uh, for all of our listeners, if you haven't yet, make sure you grab a copy of the book Customer Data Platforms. It's absolutely brilliant, incredibly practical very, very rigorous and also actually incredibly accessible. So it's great even if you know the space well, it's particularly helpful for taking parts to better explain to other people in your organization. Um, you can grab a copy already now on Kindle. There'll also be hard copies released across the UK and Europe. And I think it's already fully published in the US. Is that right, guys? Yep. Fantastic. Thanks again and chat very soon. Thanks, Thank Carl. you. Cheers, guys. Um, I was just going to say, Marty, obviously, definitely I was too ambitious to try and chuck in the other interview on the end. Yeah. So um, I'll drop you an email to sort of check. Sure. Yeah. Whenever you want. No problem. Yeah. Have a good holiday. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting us. Take care. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This year, we'll be switching up our format and we won't be publishing all interviews as podcasts. We will mix between written interviews too. So to make sure you don't miss out on any of our fantastic books, head to martechalliance.com slash book club. You can also check out our 2021 Marketing and Tech Book Clubs not to be missed.